podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh man, I'm dying. (laughs) (laughs) I am jet lagged. (laughs) All right. um, What's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Texas Podcast. My name is Daniel. It's your boy, Double H. It is Carl Anker. Remember to follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Talking Tactics. SoundCloud, follow. If you're on Spotify, follow. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, subscribe. It's free. If you're a Patreon, you'll get your 30 to 40 extra minutes of Talking Tactics extra whenever you feel like looking it up this week. Um, and, and for the people who aren't, you know, like, what is Talking Tactics extra? What do I get? I'm going to leave a clip right here. So we'll be back in a bit. Do you think the Earth is flat? No. Wait, okay, so, so do you think it's flat? No, it's a ball. Come on. Everything else in the sky is a ball, but Earth is flat. That makes no sense. It's narcissism again. Everything else we see is some form of sphere mm. or some form of 3D object, but Earth is the special place that's some plane. Use your brain. Check that out. Links in the description. Hanfo, what do you got coming out this week? Anything that people should know about? Well, um, this week, well, obviously, you know, this week, Champions League, man, um, Champions League preview gonna try a new little feature which is like like a champions league um watching the games live with me on youtube live so i'll be doing that on tuesday and on wednesday and of course wednesday football battles rivaldo versus kaka mr anchor no i'm having a relatively calm week because whew, tired although <laughs> no i can't i can't even tell you that one because the one i, I do have yeah i got like mm. a, mm. you know Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Do you know what? Okay, let's just get this question out of the way. FG asks, thoughts on WrestleMania 35 and your favorite match and moment since you started watching wrestling? Um, So I watched wrestling ever since I was a kid. I was watching WCW on Channel 5 and like flipping over that with Robert Wars ever since I was about six or seven. Watched that up until about 2005, 2006 when John Cena first appeared and I stopped because my mom caught me putting my younger brother in an ankle lock and she went, all right, that's it, it's banned. Uh, and I didn't watch wrestling again until around about 2012 when The Rock came back for that WrestleMania in 2000, what, uh, WrestleMania 27. And by that time I was an adult and I knew that it was <clears throat> choreographed. Uh, and ever since then, I think my, <laughs> my enjoyment of wrestling has improved because now I know it's choreographed and I read all about that, the behind the scenes stuff and I read all about the drama and the industry stuff. And some of the historical stuff. And yeah, re- wrestling is maybe one of the only things I ever watch live now. It's wrestling or Game of Thrones and football. Are the only things I really watch live. Um, I So I watched WrestleMania 35 last night. Started at 10 o'clock. And we didn't finish watching it until 5.30 in the morning. Uh, and Kofi Kingston, the Ghanaian-born wrestler, won the big one against Daniel Bryant. And uh, I'm not someone who cries over wrestling. But if I was someone who cried over wrestling, I would have cried over that moment. I came very close. It was just, <laughs> yeah, man. When wrestling's, when wrestling's good, it's so good because it combines everything you like about theater and drama with live action stunt work. And it can tell stories in such an amazing way. Before I was into football or films, I was into wrestling. So I wanted to be a professional wrestler when I was young. I was saying, no, I am going to be a wrestler when I'm older. And I think when you're younger and you think it's real, it literally was the greatest thing in the world. But then when I had my uncle say that it's not really real, I was like, what? But then as I grew older and I realized that it was all choreographed, I think similar to Carl, I was like, oh, I should now get the, this is genius, which is what they created, which is that it's not about whether it's real or this, it's all like that. It's, life is about entertainment. And with wrestling, 
it's created in a way to always entertain you. So as he said, it's live theater and it's the best form, form of, of theater because it combines action, aerial ability, death, death defying stunts with crazy stories where you, you do not know what is happening and the storyline is constantly evolving. It's just the most amazing, incredible concept. But obviously the whole Kofi thing, look, he's black, you know, he's from Ghana and everything. So, okay, look, let me just see what's up. And, <laughs> and, and the story was, was, it was, it was compelling. So I was like, yeah. The match in itself was obviously it was emotional. I mean, it could have been more dynamic. And I think growing up, looking at some of the great matches in the nineties, like from Ultimate War against Matchman, the best match I think that's, that's has ever happened. Cool, it wasn't cool, cool. Buddy, I'm going to plug my other podcast here, which is called Parts Unknown, where I went and watched every single WrestleMania going backwards. Mm. Some of them WrestleManias that you watch as a kid, woo, they ain't good. Um, the interesting thing about wrestling is, is it's a lot like sports. So in the same way that the Premier League now is 10 to 15% faster than it was 10 years ago. Mm. Your average wrestler from now is just 10, 15 times, 15% quicker than anyone from the Attitude Era. But it's not, uh, about, it's not about the quickness, though. It's about the drama. Five hours later. Thanks for letting me talk about wrestling for a little bit. And if you are a wrestling fan, please do check out my wrestling podcast, Parts Unknown. I will drop that link in there. All right, so check that out if you're into wrestling. All right, so we are watching Chelsea West Ham at the moment. This is kind of an important game considering Chelsea have Liverpool next week. So they kind of need these three points. And I think they go third if they win. And then all the other teams behind them have a game in hand. So if I seem a bit distracted, I apologize. What do you guys want to start with? Actually, no, what's not? I think before top four, Salah. <laughs> Why Salah. every day Salah with you, man? Okay, go. <laughs> no, no, no. For me, I think like, you know... um, do you think that he's now back? That that goal that he he scored, he's not going to go back to the old Salah, or because that was a bloody good goal. And I remember saying to myself that if this guy misses and he ends up not having passed either Firmino or Mane, I'm going to rip him apart. But he ended up scoring a very good goal against Southampton. But he took off his shirt and was celebrating like it was the final goal to pretty much save the human race from ex extinction. So I think. That celebration was frustration. Frustration from guys like me who hadn't been insulting him, saying that this guy needs to give back those two African Player of the Year awards if he continues to be a brick. And I just think that he was like, you know what, this is all against the critics. Because I really feel that the gold drought was really mentally affecting. That's why he said what he said in the post-match in the game previously, where he talked about, oh, players are having their games of their season and they're only like one goal ahead of me and all that kind of stuff. But I do feel, though, that he needs to understand what his level is. Like, last season was an amazing season, and he's still having a pretty damn good season. But you're not a superstar. You're a star. You're not a superstar. You you will never, ever be on the level of what Messi and Cristiano are doing. That's, that's, that's never ha happening. He needs to still defer, because I think the whole thing of his status as the Egyptian icon... Africa Player of the Year, you've been on, on CNN one-on-ones between you, blah, blah, blah. Itma has have gotten to his head, hence why he's taking so many shots. He's taking so many ill-advised shots because he feels, I need to score. I need to be the hero. I need to always be the, the man. I need to be the superstar. I need to be the guy who's always scoring for me. Well, no, you don't, bro. You do. There's a guy called Sadi Mane who's pretty good, good on form. You do need, need to pass. So it'd be very interesting to see how he reacts after getting this um, goal. Because I was just like, oh, he has way too much time to think about this. And yeah. he's probably just going to miss. Because I was, I, I, I knew he wouldn't pass. So I was like, he's going to shoot. But he's going to miss. And then he made it. So I was like, oh, okay. Is he back? I think that's relative to what happens against Porto 
And, and I, I would like to make this comment about, and this was said on, by Michael Cox on the Totally Football Show and whatnot, that Salah is, it's odd saying Salah's back because if anything, that last season against Liverpool was the unusual season. When you look mm. at what Salah does and what Salah has been ever since he was at Basel, ever since he was at uh, Florentina and at Roma, the, this is more like more or less part of the clause. He's a great wide player inside forward. He's great on the counter-attack. And uh, it looks like he can get a hat-trick every game, but every now and again, he'll just, you know, in a game, he can drop a stinker and in a game, he can drop a classic. I think what's really interesting is that we all expect total uh, total Liverpool Salah when what you're getting now is Roma Salah, which is still a very good player. It's cool, it's cool that you said, Daniel, that the moment he was making that run, you knew two things. One, he wasn't going to pass the ball. And two, you didn't think he'd score, which we said last week about Salah sometimes looking scared is interesting, right? If you already know a player's on a current attack like that and they're not going to pass it, that means you can't quite Virgil van Dijk it. I want van Dijk did to Sissoko because you know that guy isn't going to square it to Son. And two, now, I guess now the only thing Salah has to work on is making sure every time he is on that run, is he going to score? Which last season, the answer was he wasn't going to score. And this season, it's maybe. That's probably a very incorrect, that's probably a negative reading on what ended up being a very good game for Liverpool. They won 3-1 after beating goal down very early on to Shane Long, um, strike for Southampton. And it did look like for at least half an hour, this was it. This is when Liverpool's season ends, but they squeezed it out. Um, Klopp was really, I don't want to say really smart, but um, in replacing, we really thought, well, Naby Keita started and we thought this might be something particularly interesting, but the game only really caught fire when Jordan Henderson and James Milner came on, which shows how uh, maybe reliant, Klopp is on, on those uh, experienced members of personnel. And uh, I'm now watching Sorry Eat a Cigarette at Stanford Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Very strange. Uh, but yeah, cre- credit to Liverpool for grinding that victory out. Um, Why can't they let my man smoke? Huh? How can we just can't smoke? This is, oh, wait. Like, Sorry's your man now. <laughs> I, I, you, you know what I mean? I was trying not to say this. But how come they just can't <laughs> How come they can't let him smoke? Obviously, I know that there's laws about like if uh, you can't smoke indoors. But isn't the stadium outdoors? No, it's indoors. There's a, there's no roof. Anyway, finish your point. I'm I'm sorry. Oh uh, yeah, that's that's Liverpool. Liverpool, oh, okay. they're grinding out and they're making it look hard, but they get the the job done. Conversely, Manchester City in their FA Cup game against Brighton made it look very very easy. That's what Man City do. That's what they're afforded to do thanks to their coach and their very impers- impressive personnel and deep squad. Kevin De Bruyne finally looking like the player he was last season. Seems to be quite fit now and seems to be playing himself back into form. Looks like he could be a swing factor in the last couple of games. Isn't that terrifying, huh? Yeah. Liverpool have been playing some of the greatest football in Premier League history and are almost there. And City are like, yeah, okay, fine. Break emergency glass. Here's Kevin De Bruyne, one of the best passes of the ball in Europe. Do you think Man City can win a quadruple? Like, if we just want to look at this, because like, we can kind of lump the FA Cup into this. This Go is ahead. the best chance a team has ever had to win the quadruple, I think, in, in, in running European history. Obviously, I'm saying this with a, with a slight asterisk that you can't really win one in Spain because they only have one domestic competition. Right. Um, so the the Spanish quadruple is where you have to basically win the Super Cup the next season. So Pep, in a way, has won a quadruple with Barcelona, where he won the treble, and then the next year he won the Super Cup. But yeah, this is probably the best chance for a, in in a nation that has 
you know, the the necessary amount of domestic trophies to win it. The closest one we've seen from an English team in recent times was the um, uh, 2008-2009 effort from Manchester United. But even then, they were defeat. They won the League Cup, eventually got defeated in the FA Cup, won the league, and then got schooled by Barcelona, which is, it shows even though you can get close, you can get done by another all-conquering team and also a freak accident in a, in a cup competition. From what we've seen, the quarter-final draw and the semi-final draw, it's been relatively kind. So you're saying that if City face Juventus, that's a kind of draw? I said relatively kind. I think what's really interesting is that a month ago or two months ago, the Q word was completely unspoken of in City training camps. I don't think anyone, I think Pep Guardo absolutely did not allow his players to mention the World Quadruple or mention the concept that they could win four trophies. Whereas I think it's beginning to creep into discussion now in in the Etihad training ground. I, I know for a fact at least one Manchester City player has used it as a rhetorical framing device as do we think we can win four trophies maybe not but we're going to aim for it anyway which i think wasn't the case in january um and yeah like i said it it's ridiculous that that like, oh no we're kind of stressed out is <laughs> kevin de bruyne uh, and well here's hoping what can do an upset because that was a fantastic FA Cup semi-final against wolves if you mm. don't mind me saying like a truly like a truly all-time great classic one Wolves go up 2-0, um, very much as if Wolves had that sewn up. And then Watford just went, no, we will not go quietly into the night, uh, score two goals to get it to extra time and then get a penalty in the last, well, I want to say last, in like, I think the 104th minute from Troy Deeney, who is Troy Deeney, who's having, I want to say, a second career renaissance. That man uh, has uh, served prison sentences, has uh, frequently fluctuated in weight, has been the uh, ire of many a football fan from rival teams. Mm, most recently, when he stoked uh, beef with Arsenal fans talking about cojones. I like Trey Deeney because he's a man who understands his limitations, maximizes those limitations to the best of his ability. And at a club like Watford, one that is very often regarded as a passing place, he very much seems to be Watford through and through. And uh, why not? Why not do something as great as, as scoring a, the winning goal in an FA Cup semi final? So, don't you think that, like, in the effort to stop this quadruple, Wolves would have been the better? Option. To oh yeah, absolutely. No, no, oh, no, no, wait, wait. But let me say this though. I, I'm not exaggerating saying this. One of the best goals I've ever seen in my life was De Lafayette's goal. That's one of the best goals I've ever seen in my life. Oh, oh the, it was superb. The, the chip, yeah, that was dope. It's like that's basically that's it did to make like when I saw it in real time. I was oh wow. But when you now see it in reverse and you see what he did, the, the tactic he used, insane. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That man, Eden. <laughs> top, top three, top three, top two, and he's not two. Sorry, guys. I'm laughing, man. I'm laughing. I didn't. Even, I didn't even see it live because I was too busy talking to you boys. But I've just seen him playing. Yeah, he's he, he's the glaziest. <laughs> he's... Oh my god! <laughs> the agenda continues. <laughs> He, he just he ended the podcast for like uh, a cool a cool minute. <laughs> it was dirty, man. Okay, where do we pick back up? <laughs> I don't know where to pick back up. Do you remember what you were talking about? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just take a little bit to talk about how Eden Hazard is top five in the world right now. Jesus Christ! Have hope, have hope. Speak, speak on your boy, hey, bro. No, look, man. No, 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 no. I'm not gonna say anything because. I've been insulted 
whenever I said he was top five. So you know what? Nothing speak. to be said. No, no, no. Speak. Speak. This guy's ability is... its <laughs> When I say he is easy top five, it is how this guy plays. It's how this guy plays. He's got to go to Madrid. This is another yeah, topic yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. floating around. Like, Marco, the reports have come out that it's basically a done deal. 100 mil. And I'm looking at I just this team like he deserves better, you know. Like oh. he, he he's 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 doing moments like that to get into third place in the Premier League. It's not right. Like he should be playing in the Champions League, like Slavia Prague on Thursday. Nah, <laughs> like he should be playing against the top of the top, creme de la creme. The no, the funny thing about it is that I'm not trying to be arrogant or thinking like that, but it's like when I always say use the eye test because. I began watching football before who scored.com, all these stats things. When he just used the eye test, it's not even a debate. He is top five best. Oh, you know what? I would say best attacking players. Because again, how we rate, which is which is a good point that Lam made. There is a the, the, how you rate defensive players, how it's very different from how you rate attacking players. But mm. attacking-wise, of course, Hazard is top five. You can't name me five players who have better ability offensively than Hazard. No, you can't. There's like two. You have Neymar and yeah. you have Messi. And Messi, yeah. And like, then it's and Hazard. I... And then if you want to get into wasted talent, I don't know if you saw what like Ben Offit did this week. Oh, oh yeah, it was like, Offit, outrageous. Yeah. But yeah, those kind of guys. But he's he's top three if you just want to talk about ability. You know, all right. Let's just, let's 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 do the one word answer stuff. Will Manchester City win a quadruple? Double H. Um, I'm I'm scared. I'm scared because basically, for for me, the domestic tro- the domestic treble is 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 a is a wrap. The domestic treble is a wrap. The Champions League is very complicated because I think that Juventus is a bad matchup for Man City, and I think that basically Champions League is is very co- co- complex. And I've always I've I've said that if you you can't beat Barcelona with Messi in a final, that's impossible. So if City face Barcelona in a final, they they're not winning. If they face Liverpool. Then I think a quadruple is real. If these guys do win a, a quadruple, yeah, we have to have another conversation. Conversation about Pep. <laughs> we have. To, we have, like, to have okay, to so like, do, do you believe Pep when he says it's impossible? Like he's no. been coming out and saying, "Mind the games." Oh come on, man! You're really gonna fall for that? Come on, man! Like it's not impossible, but he's just you know managing expectations. I suppose. No, no, no. But basically, it's like a psychological thing. Imagine if he comes out and said. Yeah, man, we really think we can go for this four trophies, four trophies. It then puts on a lot of pressure on them. So what he wants is, because remember, what he's saying in public may not be what he says in private, but I do believe that even in private, he's like, take each game as it comes. Maximize and do the work in each game. But the thing about it is that, and what people have been saying, they face nobody in the Champions League. I feel that they're too strong for Tottenham. But Tottenham already battle-tested with having to face Barcelona in that um, group stage game. They have faced nobody. Coming into into it, so I think in the champ, the Champions League is the one that's they're going to find really tough. I think Premier League and FA Cup is going to be easy. Premier League is will be relatively easy if they dispatch of. See, if they beat Palace, then I think it's pretty much it. That's their hardest game. Palace away, that is their hardest game. They play Spurs. No, no, no. Look, when last have Tottenham beating Man City? <laughs> uh, in the last season when they were in um, White Lane. Yeah. So what? Three years ago. Good point, but I, I don't think the Spurs games are going to be a walkover. Me either. And I, I don't think even if Spurs lose those games, even if Spurs, Spurs can lose all three of those games at Man City, but City are going to have to work for them. 
Spurs are going to be able to take a chunk out of City in a way that I don't think football writers are going to are willing to give credit out of. I hope. I mean, it is Spurs, so they might just Spurs this up. If you want another bad prediction from me, I gave one about Dortmund being decent and being able to give Bayern Munich a game, and then he absolutely Spurs that one. So we'll see. In it, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> um, no, I think I think the domestic trouble is on. I don't. I don't think the the quadruple is possible because I, I just don't think you can be that lucky. I don't think a ball can bounce your way in four different competitions if it's not a game of FIFA or, or Football Manager. So um, I think they're going to get close, but I don't think they're going to pull off. If Man City win the quadruple from Theo Cesar Mosby, should the next season for every major European league and cup be suspended out of shame? <laughs> I mean, look, you're going to have P- PSG could wrap the league up this week if they win. Juve are Juventus like, what, points ahead. Exactly. Yeah, Juventus could do the same. I think they're both 20 points ahead in their respective leagues. And to be fair, if you look at the Premier League, the difference between Liverpool and Chelsea now in third, if this is live results, it's somewhere near 20 points, maybe closer to 15, but it's somewhere there. Um, Barcelona beat Atletico recently. So, I mean, it, there's no real title race except in Germany, as Carl mentioned, but, you know, Dortmund yeah, will always be little brother. So, um, but nah, we can't suspend every league at a shame, bro. And all right, Carl, I'm, I'm gonna let you take this one. I'm assuming you watched. Maybe you didn't because it was your birthday yesterday. But hey. uh, if if you were Unai Emery, what changes would you make this summer regarding transfers from Mason Boris? So Arsenal, we're Arsenal, like the old Arsenal, I guess. Uh, on on Sunday, they lost to Everton by a goal to nil. Should have probably should have been more. Like if Everton had a decent striker, I feel like they could have won three, four. Um, or at least scored that many. Um, so what do you think Arsenal should do? Um, buy a big cannon to put Mustafi in and then <laughs> fire that cannon. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's mean. Mustafi is, Mustafi is bad. Yeah, he's... Yeah, he's he's bad in a way that... He's bad in the, in the worst way of centre-backs in that some centre-backs just don't have technical quality. Others just... Some of them just aren't good enough. Other ones are good enough but are prone to brain farts. Um, and Mustafi is, is the worst one where he's supposed to be the leader. He's supposed to be the elder statesman. He's supposed to be their Virgil van Dijk. Oh, but, instead of spread, but instead of spreading calm, he just spreads chaos because he's so prone to lapses in concentration. He's just mm. ridiculous. Um, and I think m- many Arsenal fans will agree that trying to defend a set piece when you've got Mustafi in your box is a liability. So I think Mustafi needs to be moved on. Uh, and replaced by, they need to get a proper centre-back in. Who that is, I don't know. And whether or not they have the money will be interesting. Um, I think Ramsey's going, so so that means Ozil's definitely going to stay. I think Mkhitaryan can be moved on, which is really sad to say because he, I, I love that guy as the human being. Mkhitaryan, Mkhitaryan's story um, is how many languages he knows, how he's travelled the world, how he's been quite nervous and shy but has reached his dream of playing in all these major leagues I really want that guy to do well but I don't think he is um, the one for the Premier League so I'd, I'd like to see him move on possibly to Italy or, or maybe to Spain um, I think El Nene needs to be moved on as well because this this double pivot of El Nene and, and Guendouzi isn't working uh, and mm-hmm. Arsenal are really floundering now that um, Lucas Torreira isn't around being 19 years of age at a uh, defensive centre midfield is really hard. And he is getting caught out 
it is, he's, it is possible to squeeze the ball to the point where Guendouzi is caught out and he, you, know, you can press him. He's like, what? Oh, God, you're so close. And he'll lose possession. He's done that two or three times for Arsenal. In a Players' Tribune video, he talked about how he grew up idolising Zidane, which is kind of weird because he was born after the France 98 World Cup final. But he said he grew up idolising Zidane, trying to put... Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Mbappe is the same. Well, M Mbappe was born like months yeah, after. In 98, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah Granduzzi never watched France 98 live. Um, so Granduzzi made this comment about how he tries to model his game on Zidane, the pirouettes and, and, and his reading of the game and he tries to spread the ball like that and he says he, he finds it quite hard to do it in the Premier League because the moment you take a turn or, or you try and do a roulette or a trick move, there is someone just right in your face, which, mm. which you know, that's how much quicker the Premier League is to the French League and also that's something he has to figure out in the next year, year and a half. So yeah, I think Arsenal needs to move on Mustafi, move on and then he probably move on Mkhitaryan. They need to get another defensive midfielder. I think they're quite nicely stacked in the attacking areas. I think Awobi should be given time to really make that right wing position his. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think there's not too much work to be done. Although the interesting thing about Arsenal and transfer dealings is we don't know how much money they have. And we also don't know who's quite in charge of transfers because of a uh, missing lads retirement. So mm. that remains to be seen. If VAR had been introduced at the start of the season, how different do you think the league table would look? Um, and I leave that one for last because Chelsea have been given decisions against Cardiff. Um, I guess the first goal that Liverpool scored, there was a question of offsides. So you could look at it either way. Um, so how do you guys think VAR would have affected the table if at all? You, you know what? There's this idea that over the course of a season, it evens out. So if it's true that everything kind of evens out and everybody gets their, their fair share of good, their fair share of bad, would VAR really affect anything? If, if VAR makes everything equal and people say over time things equal out anyway, would there be that much of a difference? Yes. They say the Premier League season evens out. That's not strictly true. Um, maybe for the big decisions. So it, maybe you don't get a penalty one game and you do get a penalty later on. Um, you don't get an offside one game, you do get one later on. But there are ton, dozens of minor infractions that VAR possibly can help solve that we know for a fact based on VAR being used in other leagues and especially in the World Cup. And I think the World Cup was a real revelatory thing of basically bigger teams get bigger decisions, go their way more often. If you are one of the top six teams, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt on offsides. If you're a top six team, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt on penalties and and whatnot. Certain teams just, just get the benefit of the doubt, one, due to the way they play. So if you're a ball-dominant side, you're more likely to get benefit of the doubt on penalties and whatnot because you're in and around the opposition area all the time, right? Because one of Crystal Palace's top goal scorers has scored 10 penalties this season. 10. Purely because a lot of Crystal Palace's game plan involves give it to Wilfred Zaha, have Zaha size someone up on a one-on-one -on -one in around the penalty area and either Zaha scores or he wins a penalty. Certain teams will do well, but I think one thing that VAR can remedy is the constant tussling in the penalty area, which we saw during the World Cup where they went, oh, wow, if, if we, break, if we uh, referee this properly, there'd be a penalty every game, which is more or less what we got in that World Cup 2018. So I think that's the sort of evening things and revealing things. I think... I very much enjoyed VAR at the World Cup. I'm not quite there yet on VAR in a Premier League 
or in a in a league format. I think VAR is great in cups. I absolutely do not think you should be doing. Wait, 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 wait. Why don't you think VAR should be in the in the league? It's re- I don't really have a good scientific way of explaining it yet. I think in an elimination format, in a, in a game where you, depending on how the way you play, you can be eliminated of a competition. I think that makes both players and referees use VAR with a lot more due diligence. They don't throw it around willy-nilly, pardon the pun, as they would do in a league format. And I think one of my big problems with VA at the moment is you shouldn't be doing penalty and handball shouts in slow motion. Mm. I think and, and I think any handball, and I'm saying this as a Manchester United fan, right? I'm saying this after <laughs> we absolutely robbed PSG with that penalty. But I don't think you should do penalties with uh, in slow motion because I think handball everything looks like a handball if you do it in slow motion. And I don't think there's I don't think there's an alternative way to um, coach defending a shot or a cross without it making it look like a handball. And I said this before. I think we said this in in the World Cup that VAR's problem isn't the way it's used. VAR's problem is, is how it shines a spotlight on just how bad the footballing rulebook is. When you've got a rulebook that so many rules are based on intent. I don't know how to. I don't. I don't know how to qualify or, or register intent from someone's face in slow motion, and I don't think you ever can. So my VAR stance is: it was great at the World Cup. You should probably use it in cup competitions. I have question marks over the league, but I'll probably enjoy it if you, when you do put in the league, uh, and don't do uh, penalties or handball things in slow mo. Yeah, I've, I've always said with VAR, like you can't tell me in ninety minutes of football that there's not going to be one thing. That's not a penalty. If you look at grappling on set pieces, handballs, tackles, uh, handling outside the box, whatever the case may be, there's no way over 90 minutes that one of the two teams, one of the 22 players, perhaps up to, what, 28, they're not going to make one mistake that results in a penalty. So you're going to have way more penalties. But for me, I've always thought, you know, how many games do you watch that are like nil-nil and you're just like, this game needs a goal? And once one goal is scored, then teams have to stop being defensive or it just changes the dynamic of the game. So for me, if you can get more goals and if that comes via penalty, I don't personally mind that much. You'll only really care when the decision goes against your team. I mean, look, it's 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 needed for me. Like, I just think that's both in Liga and Copa like there is no reason why the Syria and La Liga and so forth, they have it. And Premier League doesn't have it. But I do agree with what Carl says. The whole handball thing, man. A handball looks a lot worse in slow motion than it does in fast motion. So you will a referee looking at a handball in slow motion, unless he is psycho, will always give it. So I think that is just one area that I don't know how to solve that area. But you cannot look at a handball situation in slow motion. You just can't. That's just unfair. So I just don't know how they solve that issue. Maybe you do have to legislate that you can only watch replays. In, in real in time, motion, yeah. Mm. So, but then, do you remember what what happened with South Korea, Germany? Do you catch oh, yeah. what happened for that goal in real time? Maybe you do if you watch it enough. But when you slow nah. it down and you actually get to no, see no, the no. touch, even if you watch that thing in in real time, you you still wouldn't be able to make a decision. You had to watch that in in, in slow time for the for the Korea goal. You have to. Yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, that was like the watershed moments for VR was the South Korea Germany thing, where no way anybody sees that in real time. No one, impossible. And it gave us Neuer at what left? Yeah, wing. I left. <laughs> it was left wing, left wing. Great moment, great moment. All right, so you know, speaking of Germany, let's let's kind of get through this. Five nil. What is going oh. on, man? 
I, actually, you know what? Wasn't this expected? Isn't it always like Dortmund when they play at home against Bayern, they do well? Yeah, that's speaking. true. But, but, but then, but then once Dortmund go to the Allianz Arena, they just get blown away. Is that is that a baptism? Yeah, it's about <laughs> baptism. <laughs> Have you guys ever been baptized, like for like religious yeah. purposes? Yeah. Yeah, it's I was baptized scary. when I was three. I grew up Christian, so that shit is scary, man. I'm taller than people, so like I think I got baptized when I was like 13 <laughs> or something. And the dude, like, and I'm heavy, so like the dude was like trying to dip me. I was like, yo, <laughs> if you drop me, I can't swim. So be careful with me. But yeah. Um. So Dortmund got their last minute win. Well, you know, thanks to Paco Alcacer, managed to squeeze past uh, and get a win last week. Um, but they did suffer some injuries. And, th- and the thing about Dortmund this season is, yes, they are playing really good football. They're playing uh, Lucien Favre football, which, you know, the interesting thing about Lucien Favre teams is they um, regularly outperform their XG and their, you know, c- conceded goals as well. They play a really interesting method that is kind of like an evolved version of Burnley, where they block a lot of shots on the defensive half. And then when they go forward, they go forward. They like really go forward with, with four or five, sometimes six members on counterattacks, which means they, they can be prone to getting done on defensive transition, which is what happened here against Munich, where basically any time they got caught up possession, they got done. Um, the really interesting thing about this Dortmund side is I think many people thought Dortmund would be the second best team in the Bundesliga. They thought, yeah, they'd be all right, but I don't think it, they'd, they'd come anywhere near this close to, to Bayern Munich. Um, but what happened was basically Jaden Sancho ended up being far better than anyone realized. Uh, Witzel ended up being far better than anyone realized. Marco uh, Royce has managed to stay fit. Uh, and their centre-back pairing stayed really good up until just now. Also, Paco Alcacer has decided to be amazing. But what's happened is basically they've suffered a couple of injuries in key personnel. So they had that January slump where they drew quite a few games and they got knocked out by... Um, Tottenham Hotspur in the Champions League due to basically Royce wasn't fully fit for a little bit of that spell uh, and they had an injury uh, at centre-back and then what happened last week is they lost another major centre-back and their replacement just wasn't good enough Uh, and Munich just has absolutely embarrassed them. Nabry who's having a career best season and is looking nothing like the player we thought he would be at Arsenal and at West Bromwich Albion, but is looking truly like someone who can, well, if not replace, but go part of the way to to ease the load on Iron Robin, is is playing fantastically. And uh, this this war of world words that Nico Kovac has been having with James Rodriguez seems to be finally put to bed now. So, I mean, it's it's only one point. Their own Bayern is still only one point above. above it's over, man. It's above. over. Such is that massive swing goal difference. That probably is it. So, uh, just just quickly, you, you spoke on uh, Gnabry. How did you guys feel about the celebration? Yes or no? Yay or nay? On the, like on quality. Wait, did you wait, did you see how serious Alaba was taking the cooking? Um, <laughs> and he was like, Nah, 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 nah. More sauce, more sauce, more sauce. No, no. Quality. Wasn't that? Is that pepper? Isn't that pepper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, those twisty things. Oh well, or it it could be salt. Both salt and pepper are the twisty things. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. You like it? Um, Do you know what? I I have two things written down here that I wanted to talk about. One of them was the top four, and the other one was the Moise Keen and kind of Danny Rose comments. So I guess we can kind of get to that part of the part of the show now. I don't know when did this incident with Benucci and Calgary happen? Was that 
Monday? I was Tuesday night. Tuesday? Tuesday, yeah. yeah. So we didn't get a chance to speak on this. So Carl, you were on CNN and you spoke on this. So maybe I'll, I'll let you go first and have hope you can come in after. Yeah. Um, just about the Moise Keen situation with Juventus. Yeah, I mean, Bonucci, you're damn fool, ain't he? <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, really quick recap. It was against Calgary, away from home. Moise Keen scores a late, I won't say winner, but the, sec- the second goal in, in, in a game and then uh, celebrated with his arms aloft in front of the cover against Calgary, arms that spread out wide, basically an act of defiance due to the fact that Moise had been the subject of racial abuse and booze and monkey chants throughout most of his time on the pitch. Um, after his celebration, Bonucci, well, a number of Juventus players tried to celebrate with him. Keane is ambivalent to, to, to get involved. He, he prefers to stand the way he wants to stand. Bonucci grabs him, pushes him away and, and in a sign of get on with it. The game finishes. And uh, Benucci makes a statement in the in the post match conference saying the 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 blame lies fifty fifty. Um, yes, the Calgary fans were trying to provoke Moise, but Moise Keane doesn't have to um, react in the way that he reacted. The reaction being standing in front of him with the arms aloft. Massimo Allegri made a similar statement saying that Keane is is only is a young player and he needs to learn how to react properly to to that sort of provocation basically saying that Keane shouldn't have done what he did. Um, the Calgary president said that Calgary fans aren't racist, but they would they basically like provoking anyone. If Bernard Deshi was the player they had chosen to provoke, they'd have chosen to provoke him, and it wasn't a racial thing, and Keane um, is trying to make too much of this scenario. Keane himself is very much like, nah, nah, they were being racist. Makes a comment on Instagram saying that his celebration was the best way to, to stand up to racists. And then since then... Ian Wright called Bonucci a pussio. Um, <laughs> Uncle Ian Wright called him a pussio. Raheem Sterling called Bonucci a clown. Well, basically said, oh, really? So it's not racist. And said, all I can do is laugh. Um, Stormzy called Bonucci a prick. Uh, basically, every, every, nearly every, every notable black football player. Um, so Blaise Matuti, during the game, tried to walk off the pitch and tried to bring the, the referee's attention to what was going on in the game, saying this is some nonsense, because Matudi had been racially abused at the Calgary Stadium last year. Um, Sugani Mantari had been abused by Calgary fans while playing for Pescara in 2015, I want to say. 17. Um, so this is a thing that happens at that stadium often. Uh, so Matudi is supporting Keenan going, yeah, this is some nonsense, and I stand with you. Memphis Depay made a similar statement going, I stand with you. Um, uh, Mian Pjank and Emre Chan decided to stand with with uh, Moise Keane. And I think the most notable one was uh, Giorgio Tellini going, no, it's nonsense. This is nonsense. How dare you go after um, my boy Moise Keane? I know for a fact Keane and uh, Cellini are quite close. So it was quite interesting that of all the people to not back Keane, it's uh, Bonucci, as in the player who basically needs to be quiet and earn the Juventus fans' love after going off to AC Milan for a little bit. So that was that. Benucci, two days later, walked it back and said he, he spoke, he was too hasty and he was misunderstood in his statement and he, he, he is against racism in all forms um, and hopes to move on from the situation. Massimo Allegri has basically said comments to um, Benucci needs to learn better, but hopefully that can be the end of the scenario. So Allegri hasn't been great. He has not been great, but I think Allegri just wants to sweep this all under the table. And then on Saturday, Bonucci made a mistake to like Piotek score in the, AC, in the game against AC Milan. 
And then uh, guess who got the winner against AC Milan? That man again, Moise Keane. Moise Keane now has five goals in his last five games. It's the beginning of a blue-chip player in Italian football, and I can't wait. I stand with Ian Wright with what he said about Bonucci. Fuck that guy. <laughs> oh, for sure. No, no, but also, like, I mean, it's a very interesting parallel of Balotelli and Moise Keane because my thing about it is that it's almost a similar thing of very young, being really coming onto, onto the stage very young, black, Italian, African descent, dealing with racism. But it seems as if, maybe I don't want to be too about that, Moise Keane seems to be much more focused to work, work hard and improve as opposed to Balotelli. But, yeah, but look, as I said again, um, Carl said everything completely right. I mean, Bonucci, if Bonucci was a Cagliari fan, he'd be doing the same thing. So that's the whole point. So, like, let's just not put it, if Bonucci was a fan, he would be an ultra. You see, if Bonucci wasn't a pressure football player, he would be an ultra, and he would be doing monkey chants. That's what <laughs> those comments made. It's true, right? Those comments he made shows that, yeah, if you went to a football player, yeah, you would be doing the racist chance. Oh, so, yeah, so, yeah, cool. Okay, thank, thanks for at least informing us of that. But my thing about it is that, look, in 2019, I don't want to see no racism um, taglines. I don't want to see anything. The fact of the matter is this. UEFA are racist. They don't care. Because if they, they cared, they would have been doing harsher punishments way back five, six, seven years ago, because this has been going on for five, six years through the, in the days in the 90s of Lazio and Fiorentina. So the fact that they've not really been able to stamp out it because UEFA, they don't really care. They don't really care. And what I would say is that you will never get rid of racism in society. That's never going to happen. But you can't get rid of racism within a stadium. Because if you're going to tell a fan that if you're racist, you will not be able to watch your team ever, he will stop being racist for 90 minutes. As soon as he leaves, oh, he'll start, you know, black this, black that. But for 90 minutes, even the most hardcore is like, yeah, look, man, 90 minutes, let me just not be racist for 90 minutes. As soon as I leave, at least I can then insult all the blacks that I want. So that can be done. You can't definitely remove it from the stadiums, but because the technology is there, cameras and everything. But UEFA don't care, and they never care. So what UEFA wants is, write this out, get your hashtags out, get your tweets out, get your things out. We'll, we'll do a few say no to racism um, ads. Boom. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. One of the UEFA chiefs did on the Wednesday, so the day after the, um, the Moise Keane incident, said he was appalled and shocked at what was going on. And, I, and it was very much, really? You're appalled and shocked? How? But... It, 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 we'll see what happens. Um, kick it out. Offer the olive branch to to Serie A to say that you know we can offer recommendations on how we you can combat this. I don't want to make oh Italian football is more racist than whatever, but there is a particular problem with Italian stadiums and and Italian uh, ultras. So the curva, uh, I think this is possibly what Benucci was trying to make a statement about. So you've got the ultras who exist in the curva, which is like this very particular section of Italian football pitches. And the curve, there's no cameras, very self-policing. And the idea is basically, um, so what was said after Koulibaly was racially abused in, after the Inter Milan game in, on Boxing Day. They went, oh, why can't you just walk in? Why can't you have police just walk into that section of the stadium and, and pull out the racist fans? To which I was told by uh, a relative Italian football expert, they'd say, well, the moment you step, well, the moment a police person steps in the curve, you're on their turf. So it's mm -hmm. anything goes. Basically, I mean, you do that, then the, the hooligans are like, safe, or well, we can beat you up. Um, which is like a really old, old problem where sort of the, the policemen are going, you can do whatever you want inside the stadium. And then the moment you step outside the stadium, you belong to us. And that's how they sort of allow the rules. You've got to bear in mind the ultras, 
are very much the people responsible for organizing away games for for a number of these Italian clubs. Quite a few of them are, are the ones that sell tickets. That, you know, they very often get the allocation for away games and will put on coaches and sell tickets. Uh, and some of them, some members of Curvers and some Ultras do run for positions on these clubs, in the running of these clubs. Uh, and to them, I think what's truly worrying is that it's not so much seen as racism, but just seen as a form of provocation, right? If you've got a football fan who doesn't know the difference between calling someone a crispy, crunchy, crackety black person and doesn't know the difference between saying so-and-so parents weren't married when they were born, then it can be that much harder to combat, right? So one thing we do have in England is that there does seem to be a, okay, so look, we don't really like it when you call someone a bastard or a son of a bitch, but we also understand that you do cross the line once you call someone a fucking black so-and-so. So when the Sterling incident happened, the people were saying, oh, he wasn't saying black cunt. He was saying mank cunt. It's not a good defense, but you can understand that some English... Will... It's not a good defense, right? It's not a great defense, but you can understand... No, 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 no. Some... I wasn't calling him a what cunt. I was calling him a this cunt. Like, yeah. hey, like... It's okay, not a good that, defense. That you is what you're taking to court? Okay. But you can see that for... for I want to say... I don't want to say all English football fans, but you can see that for some English football fans, they understand that a black cunt is the worst thing to say than a mank one. Whereas I think in it's in Italian football, I think that no, it's all it's all fair game. If I want to put you if I want to put you off, I want to provoke you. I would say whatever's possible. Which that one can be combated, right? You can get you can get in kick it out. You can bring in FIFA FIFA and UEFA sanctions and make sure football fans understand that there is a line that means this bit this part can't be crossed. How to go further than that? I don't. I'm not quite sure. I think point deductions is probably the best way and playing behind closed doors. Calgary has played quite a few games behind closed doors due to their racial abuse but it doesn't seem to be quite going through. So um, mm. we'll see what happens next. And uh, yeah, it's been a week now. And Danny Rose made a really interesting statement on Friday where Danny Rose basically said, you can't wait to finish playing um, football because he's just sick and tired of all the racist abuse that happens all the time. So good on him. There were quotes from today that Sterling said, I wouldn't personally agree with walking off in response to racist fans. To win the game would hurt them even more. They're only trying to get you down. If you walk off, they win. To score or win would be better. I don't think I can make a difference. It's something that happened before I was born and before my parents were born. As much as I can, I do is raise awareness. I'm black. I'm proud. I'm confident about my body. My mom has always told me to be proud of myself and tell me I'm a wonderful black child. I've never really heard it in London. It was mainly when I went up north to Liverpool, I started to hear it a few times. So those are Sterling's quotes. And so I guess he's suggesting that walking off isn't a solution. And you brought up kind of Matweedy wanted to do that. It's not his solution, Eden which I think is also a really interesting thing now that all, all, you know, black people aren't monolith. We are going to have different ways and solutions as to how we want to deal with these things. We are going to have different viewpoints on what is or isn't acceptable. And, and yeah, I, I don't know if I could walk off every single game because <laughs> you, should walk off, you should walk off at least once. But then also I'm deathly afraid of a certain section of football fans that go, oh, wow, I can get them to walk off the field if I just racially boo. So do I racially boo them even, do I racially abuse them even more? And this is the problem, right? This is the problem that got asked to me on CNN. This is the problem that gets asked to everyone else. Why is it the responsibility of the abused person to have to deal and police and come up with the best solutions for this rather than the... Uh, they're actually bloody organizations. Well, see, well, well, see, that's Thank that's because much. these organizations have no. They they might care in a certain sense, but they're never going to care as much as making sure the general body, i.e., white people, Europeans, 
they're always going to try to assuage them or make sure that like it's not all of your fault. This is a small problem. It's not as serious. It's not as this. It's not as that. That's why it's all. They're always quick to go. Oh, Keen. It was partly his fault as well. Because they're never just going to go full on into like the people that buy the tickets or or to the general people that watch their game. They're never going to do that. So it's always going to be contingent upon the oppressed person to stand up for themselves because the body in charge, as you say, it has no interest or real interest in actually dealing with the problem at hand because that would cause too many problems with their pockets. For UEFA, this whole thing is it's an inconvenience. For them, they're like, look, man, look, let's just do like a, a fine behind closed... Like, they've been given the same punishments for like a decade, over a, a decade. And surely, surely, any person with logic will know that if you've been doing the same thing for several years and nothing has changed. Surely you know that something, you need to do something different. The fact they've never tried to do anything different shows that these guys, they don't care. It's always going to be more important to make white people feel comfortable no, no, than no, it no, is but, to make sure that no, black people aren't subjected that, to racism. That's no, always no, going to be the case. See, see, no, 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 see, see, the key thing to the Bonichi code, that's why I love the Bonichi code because it strikes to the core of the issue. See, the key to the Bonichi code is this is now sort of embedded in football culture. The racial thing has somehow in a very sick way been, oh, no, this is just part and parcel of just playing for football. If you score a goal, racial insults, it's nothing personal, but it's just part and parcel. And the sick thing is about it is that it's become an accepted norm within football fan culture of like, man, if this guy does something, like, what's it called? I remember when I was in, 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 in school, this guy I knew, simple, normal guy, was actually a pretty nice guy, very soft-spoken didn't really, and it was, was very approachable. And I remember when I was sitting down one time, and um, I think Arsenal were playing, and he was like, it's it, it Tottenham fan. And he walks into the room, and I could tell that like, he had if a few drinks. And he walks into the room saying that, hey, Thierry, where's your banana, man? Where's your banana, Thierry? Where's your banana? And I was like, what? And this was a guy <laughs> where, like, I would never have thought that would ever come out of his mouth based on how I knew him. But for football fans, they just go into a mode of, like, this is just what you now sort of do. You know, if it's a black player, yeah, you do the whole monkey thing and everything. And after that's done, hey, man, no, it's, it's just, a, it's just a, a football thing. So you're normalizing racial abuse, <laughs> which is the, the, the sickest thing. So I'm, This won't be the last time we speak on it. But I thought, I thought mm-hmm. Rose's comments were particularly interesting. Just like he, Very you, sad. You, Very you've been sad. trying your whole life probably to become a professional footballer. You get paid hundreds of thousands, or maybe if you're Spurs, like tens of thousands a week, um, and you can't wait to quit. Damn. But we have 10 minutes left. Three players from A1 you wish fulfilled their potential. I guess we can all say one. Um, yeah. I, I think I know where Double H is going to go, so I won't say that one. Um, mm. I would say Robinho. Mm, that's a good one. I mean, I wouldn't say the obvious one, but um, after I came, I'd say Charisma. Ooh. Okay. Even if even if Charisma had a late bloom, there is no, uh, Charisma did not reach anywhere near what he he, he should have been. Because like, I've always said Charisma was always had more ability than Cristiano. Cristiano just just worked harder, and obviously he was fortunate. So maybe he was in the better team, better system. He had um Ferguson, but Charisma again just bad clubs, bad managers. Maybe he didn't try hard enough. But for a guy of his ability, didn't come anywhere near to fulfilling his potential. There is a World Cup or two. Maybe two missing from Brazil's trophy cabinet because Adriano basically couldn't get it together or reconcile things within himself after his father passed away. And 
Yeah, Theo Walcott makes me sad. Walcott? What? Because I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it was a thing about potential. Because maybe, maybe Theo Walcott was never as good as what we thought he was. He wasn't. Um, no, he wasn't. Um, I, I, I always maintained that. Um, so his big coming out party against Croatia, where he scored that hat trick. That game wasn't on a widely distributed television in in, in England. I remember coming the next day and I went, "Oh, how was Walcott?" And I said, "Well, England weren't very good until Croatia went down to ten men, and then Walcott finally had space, and that's how he got his hat trick." My my thing was always it was a complete illusion that Walcott was not was not was ever going to be that good. But mm. it is sad the kid that you know he was on the front cover of FIFA games. He was put on you could go give him the number fourteen shirt. It looked like for a long time that Henri sort of wanted him to to be the guy. Walcott spends ages saying, "I want to be the number nine. I want to be the, the striker. I want to come off the wing." And then I now regularly have to remind myself that he plays at Everton. You can't even get a starting spot for Everton. Everton want to move him on, and it's just like man. You were supposed to be it, and you're just not. Um, black emoji, if Mbappe is currently the lamb, where's the best place for him to become the goat? It's got to be Real Madrid, <laughs> isn't it? Also, I really like the term describing someone as the lamb. But, like, goat lamb. means greatest of all time. So what does lamb, lamb, what's the acronym? Is a lamb a, a baby goat? Or what's See, I, th- I, thought, I thought it was a kid. A kid was a, a baby goat. Yeah. So lamb, lamb is sheep. Yeah, sheep. that's the thing. Targeting Busquets is often the route to beating Barcelona, given he's lost his pace and United have it in abundance. Should they press him as much as possible? From a brown rabbit ninety five. I mean, then, you can try. Yes, yeah, and then but at the end of the day, Barcelona will still will will get the ball, and Barcelona in in possession with Messi is a dangerous proposition. So you have to be careful of how you press, because if you um, if yeah. you press in a bad way and you leave too much space and you allow Barcelona to counter with you with the Usa's pace. You know, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, you can you can try to press Busquets, but he's kind of press resistant. I say kind of, I mean very. Favorite kits slash jerseys from AJ Cool sixteen. Brazil so World get... Cup ninety eight, Roma's tight fit Diadora kit, Nigeria's ninety eight World Cup kit, and oh yeah, oh yeah, Cameroon's um one piece kit that was banned. <laughs> <laughs> that was a funny one, man. Which is what I actually I have Chelsea's black away kits. Alright. So Carl, I'm sure you got opinions on football kits. I have yeah. zero opinions on football kits. I think it's all a racket that they make a new one every year. It's trash. They're just but, trying to steal your money. You gotta pay yeah. extra money for official badges and this and that. Like it's 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 trash. I, I like I like a pink football kit, so I really <laughs> like the, the pink UV kit. I like Palermo mm-hmm. kits. I like a yellow kit as well. So I've like I like a Columbia kit. The, um, the United third kit is pretty good as well. Yeah, the United, it, it's not quite pink enough. It looks quite pale. When, so I have yeah. one. I've got a real one. It's, it's a bit pale for my liking. And it, it's not great when you're sweating. Um, it's annoying. That doesn't make any uh, sense. Like, what are they, is, isn't there technology to where, like, when it's when you sweat? Just the sweat patches look a bit too prominent. It's like when Fulham, so Fulham had a kit, I think, in 2010, which basically turned completely clear when you started sweating because it was, it was just too thin. And yeah, it was too thin and too white and big. Yeah, so they had to. They, I remember they played United. They drew with United once on the Fergie in that kit, and they had to completely use a brand new one at halftime because they sweated through it entirely. Um, kit production makes me interested, and you are right. A lot of them is a racket to charge sixty, at least sixty dollars for a new one every single season. And now they've got this new tiering system that Nike have, where you can buy the match specific one, which is basically. There's the civilian version of the kit, and there's the 200 pound one, which is the exact version that a player wears, which is a bit tight and whatnot. And yeah, it's all a bit nonsensical. But 
I do like a football kit and I do wear them all. I do wear football kits not to games, but more as a fashion statement on a Saturday. And I think my favorite football kit of all time is uh, the Netherlands in 1988 at the Euros. So the one with the geometric patterning on the orange is maybe my favorite kit of all time. You're given the ability to bring back one of these entities to their glory days in the present. Which do you choose? Attitude era WWF or option two, the Brazil national team from forward 100. I'm bringing back Brazil because I don't watch wrestling. But I don't know what attitude WWF means. That's the rock versus Stone Cold, you know? Was that like, um, what's homie's name? Goldberg and stuff like that? Is that Goldberg like around that time? Goldberg was a bit after that. Basically, yeah, the attitude era is regarded as the high point of, of WWE because he had the rock, he had Stone Cold. Yeah, Triple H and Mankind. I'm not bringing back the Attitude Era because I've watched a whole bunch of WrestleManias from that era and boy, whew, was I tired. Um, so yeah, I'm going to bring back Brazil. But even then, I think Brazil aren't that too far away from, from figuring it out. Although I will whisper that Brazil have a Ewing theory problem with Neymar. The what Brazil, Brazil will probably win the um, Copa America. You actually subscribe to you, you like Bill Simmons, Ewing theory, that kind of stuff? Like you're oh, into yeah. it? I'm a Bill Simmons disciple through and through. You've read enough of my articles now. Yeah, but like the Boston, like anything that has to do with Boston and the Boston sports guy, I'm just like, eh. I'm not Boston. Woo, woo, yeah. But I'm a Simmons kid. I'm not a Boston kid. There is a there is a difference. But yeah, Oof. I think I think Neymar's a Ewing. I think Neymar is a Ewing theory player. I think Paul Pogba will probably end up being a Ewing theory player. I think Coutinho is one. And if you don't know what Ewing theory is. Um, Ewing Theory is this example of a player who basically the argument is they're quite good, but the sneaky thing is their team probably plays better when they're not playing. So Neymar probably works. PSG probably play better football when Neymar's not there because they can play through Mbappe and Di Maria. Manchester United may end up playing better without Paul Pogba because they don't have to put every single ball to Paul Pogba. Liverpool Spurs and Harry Kane. Up, yeah, Spurs without Harry Kane. This season, Spurs played a lot better when it was round Son and they were playing that air raid style football, whereas now Harry Kane's back, their game plan seems to be give it to Harry Kane and see him, watch him figure it out. So there's that. Uh, and that's not the answer to your question, but I gave you the answer to your question, which is basically I'd bring back Brazil. I um, woke, woke up with a strong Brazil is always a better World Cup. Mm. Um, one of my favourite games of the, of the 2018 World Cup was the Belgian-Brazil game because one, it showed off just how much better Eden Hazard is as a big game player compared to Neymar. And two... Yes. And two, Lukaku playing on the right wing, linking up with Kevin De Bruyne was fantastic. Oh, the half hope, do you have an opinion on this? Would you bring back wrestlers or footballers? Brazil national team for sure. <laughs> uh, does the controversy surrounding the 2002 World Cup take away from Brazil's triumph? Carl asks, what controversy in particular are you talking about? And Shane McGrady says, the matches that seem to be rigged, especially Korea versus Spain and Korea v Italy. I was 11 years old during the 2002 World Cup. Was O2 rigged? Yes. <laughs> um, like anybody who watched the, um, specifically the Spain South Korea game, something went down. Again, I don't want to put or allege anything, just that I'm sorry, something went down. So I, so I don't want to blame South Korea, blame anyone, but something just went down. Because <laughs> there was just one moment I remember was where. Um, I think it was Joaquin or someone who put in a cross. This thing was about four or five inches in. He crosses in, homeboy headed, headed it through. It was given as a, um, not given as a goal, but that game, the Italy game, 
too many inconsistencies, man. Too many inconsistencies. So yeah, but to answer Shady's question, nah, it doesn't um, take away from what's happened because at the end, end of the day, what Ronaldo did and what he achieved was amazing in that game. And anybody who watches the final against against Germany, it was um, Germany actually outplayed Brazil in that final, and it took the heroic efforts of Ronaldo to drag his his team through. So. Um, how is R9 considered a top five player all time? He's had three amazing seasons, and in those seasons, he failed to win a league title. He flopped in the Champions League and had Galactico team around him. Also, Rivaldo was better than him in 2002. He was named the second best player in the tournament. I think it's it's a com combination of how good he was when he was at his best and what he did at the 2002 World Cup. And with regards to trophies, sometimes it's a, it's a team that you're in. Ronaldo's Inter Milan team wasn't that great, and they they lost the Serie A title on the last day of the season, where literally Ronaldo was single-handedly dragging that team all the way through. So if you look at Messi, Cristiano, Barcelona, and Real Madrid, these guys, come on, they these are guys with a heritage of 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 having glory, which is not what Inter Milan had, and he had his knee injury playing for Inter Milan. So when he played for Real and for Barcelona, he was too young. When he joined Real Madrid, that was his personal injury where he was he was no longer as good as he once was. So, but why Ronaldo is considered top five is Ronaldo at his best is arguably one of the best attacking players that the game has ever seen before his knee injury. So West Ham are playing a lot better now. Snodgrass is on the pitch, which is something I never thought I'd say. But Snodgrass is having a great little season since coming back from loan from uh, Aston Villa. I don't anyway. think he's with Norwich for whatever reason because he was he was there once upon a time and then I see him at other clubs I'm like why but anyway uh so yeah this is oh do you have uh, any comment on Ronaldo Carl before we go no I think basically he had that one season for Barcelona when he won the cup winners cup and he was unstoppable um people think he was the greatest because he had one banner year like that year at Barcelona was. It's not just the goals he scored, but the way he made players just completely lose all sense about what was going on. Mm. Then he has France 98. And yes, he, does, he doesn't win France 98, largely because he had an epileptic fit the day before the final. But he was the player of that tournament. He, he, he was a cultural force in the way that football players haven't been a cultural force at a tournament since... Ever? Maybe Can Ever? Right, so 2012, well, well, Maradona, 86, so, maybe. Like, we, we think Ronaldo is one of the greatest of all time because he was the dominant story for Yeah, but like, I was thinking, like, did, did Maradona have, like, the Nike advert through the no. airport? And no, stuff no, like no, that? no, 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 no. Ronaldo was the first superstar merchandise exactly, marketing exactly, player. Exactly. Yeah, so he, he, has, he has one incredible year in the league with Barcelona and he wins the Cup Winners' Cup, which at the time was a very, well, a, a very fun, prestigious... European trophy. Then he has like a ridiculous World Cup. Then he has, you know, then he goes to Inter Milan, has his knee explode, etc., etc. Then he has another great comeback story in the 2002 World Cup. And then, unfortunately, other things get the better of him. I think one reason anyone who wants to know why do people regard Ronaldo as fantastic, just look at Mbappe now. Mbappe looks to be one of the most exciting football players the world's ever seen. And Mbappe would probably freely admit that. A lot of his game is based off watching clips of Ronaldo. Imagine a world where Mbappe only existed and you saw him maybe twice a year in standard definition. And then when he did arrive, he did, He won that World Cup. That's what you get with Ronaldo. This has been the Talking Tactics Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. 
Uh, remember, we do this every Tuesday. Remember to subscribe on all the social media platforms. All that good stuff is in the is in the links. Carl, where can people find you? Anchorman six one six. Double H, where can people find you? A couple pot. I'm at Daniel to look. We are at Talking Tactics once again. Um, patrons, you'll get your 30 to 40 minutes of Talking Tactics extra whenever you feel like looking it up. So I do encourage everybody to go look at that. Links in the description as well. Um, Talking Tactics podcast, sometimes funny. Sometimes serious. Always football. Indeed. See you guys next week. Peace. Peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.